Well, we want to welcome you to uh, Prophecy Night tonight. Uh, great to see everybody. Special night tonight. I'm going to make a few remarks here at the beginning, and then I'm really delighted to have my folks uh, here all the way from Houston. And uh, we're just going to have a conversation. You know, we're going to just talk about the Lord, talk about prophecy, uh, talk about uh, God's hand of blessing, uh, you know, throughout our lives. And, and uh, so, and we're going to open it up to your questions as well. Uh, they don't have to be questions for my parents, especially if they have anything to do with me. In fact, I'd prefer they weren't. Uh, so they can be just any prophecy questions, and uh, you know, we'll field the questions and, and uh, talk about them. But really looking forward to a, uh, a good time of uh, fellowship in the Lord tonight. I want to start with just a quick verse before we dive in. You know, Proverbs, uh, the first nine chapters, most likely written by Solomon, are all about uh, wisdom and the importance of wisdom and knowledge. And verse 8 of chapter 1 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. And uh, I believe Solomon here was referring to his uh, son and his father and his mother. Uh, obviously, there's wisdom is personified as you go th through this, and there's more uh, to it in terms of the principles behind it. But if children heed their parents' teaching, the idea is they will be blessed. And specifically, the metaphor that's used here is a garland or you know, graceful ornament is the way the New King James uh, puts it. Uh, basically, heeding your parents' wise counsel uh, will give you an attractiveness to life, an attractiveness in, you know, to others as you go through life. And, and it will honor them in that same uh, way, that the, as a necklace around your neck, that kind of thing. So, you know, whatever success or accomplishments in my life that are of any enduring value, I really owe my parents a debt of gratitude for raising my sisters and I in the Lord. You know, um, we're not perfect. My sisters are even less perfect. Um, and my parents weren't perfect. They'd be the first ones to tell you that. Um, nobody is this side of heaven. We all struggle with that flesh versus the spirit uh, conflict. But I tell you what, we are really blessed to have been raised in a Christian home. Uh, so many people aren't. You know, I'm sure in a, in, in a group this size, we've got people whose faith journeys involve coming to know the Lord outside of your family, and in, in some cases, in spite of your family. Uh, and so God's grace is sufficient, and the gospel is powerful, and it goes forth. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to you. But there's something very special and blessed about being raised in a, in a Christian family, where you talked about the Lord, you read the Bible, you went to church, you heard the gospel at a young age, as I did. So I'm really just delighted to, um, you know, to have them here. I want to make a couple of announcements so that we can just kind of go right through uh, to the end and take all of your questions after I, you know, introduce them and ask them a few questions of my own. But most importantly, I want to mention, and I'll say this again at the end, that next week is July 4th, and we're not going to meet on July 4th. Uh, so no Prophecy Night next Tuesday. That's the 4th of July. Um, we do have some several uh, podcasts recently that I want to encourage you to check out. Randy and I, Randy's uh, here tonight, we did a special edition of our World Events Update on Sunday to talk about... Um, you know, the, the Wagner group and, and the attempted coup in Russia, and there's so much uh, going on with that. And, um, you know, we kind of gave you our, our take on it. Randy had some good intel that he, he provided. Uh, but a lot's happened even since then, so we're looking forward to tomorrow morning, right, our regular Wednesday, assuming we're still here. 
which is an open question at this point for two reasons. It's an open question because the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Uh, but secondly, there's a lot of things happening today out there in the world that we aren't quite sure what's what they're about. So, Lord willing, we'll meet uh, tomorrow morning, and you can that'll be posted by mid-morning tomorrow, and you can listen to that. Uh, then we did uh, uh, on uh, I guess Monday. Is that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday was a uh, podcast with Brad Maston, uh, the Deceiver and His Purposes. Encourage you to check that out. I posted an article over the weekend in the context of this uh, Russia. Uh, conflict uh, called The Battle Behind the Battle. It's a short article. Uh, Harbingers has uh, picked it up and I encourage you to check that out to give you some of my perspective in written form. And then uh, last Friday uh, we did uh, a podcast uh, with uh, Shane Booth, my technology guy, um, Artificial Intelligence Where No Man Has Gone Before. And he's been on about every week or two for several months now kind of updating us on the advancements in technology and it's uh, pretty amazing what's uh, what's been what's been happening there so uh, with those announcements I'm delighted to introduce my folks if you guys want to come on up um, I feel like the disciples mom who said can one sit on my left and one on the right but anyway wherever you'd like why don't you come around this way it's easier to get to the chair there you go all right, and I'm going to take a moment to uh, do some. No, no, right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can split us up. I'm going to split you up. I'm going to split you up. So I'm going to take a moment to just make some adjustments here for our audience at home so they can hear us. And uh, let's see here. Let's turn that up. Okay. But there we go. So let's uh, make sure. That is up there. Testing one, two. So you guys will speak right into these mics, and I'm going to sit here in the middle. And I want to start by, and we'll start with uh, with you, Peepaw. Tell us uh, how you came to know the Lord. <laughs> Give my water. Would I you? will get it. I can't get the water. Look, I've been carrying your water for 55 years. <laughs> I might as well keep on. Not a surprise. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and you can put it here if you need to. Yeah, that's a good idea. There we go. All right. So, yeah, I, you know, you uh, want to hear your testimony. I want them to hear your testimony. How did you come to know the Lord? I'll go first. You want to go yeah. first? I'll, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go first. first. I was raised in a Christian family. My, my folks, uh, I mean, they, they were saved at early ages themselves. And But I remember when I was nine years old, and my mother led me to the Lord. She, she explained the gospel to me. Uh, I mean, I knew I was a sinner, and I had been raised in church. I'd gone to, we go to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night training union, uh, so I knew all about the Lord, but just to make certain that I understood what it meant to be saved, she gave me the plan of salvation. Uh, I knew I was a sinner. I confessed my sins to the Lord. I told him I was a sinner and said I wanted to be saved. And I believed that his son was my Savior. He died and rose again. And uh, from then on, I've been, been sealed by the Holy Spirit. So I was nine years old when I came to know the Lord. Okay. Okay, I was not raised in a Christian home. I was... Uh, close as you can. And, yeah, close. Okay. I was... An, uh, my father was in the Army Air Corps, and we did a bit of traveling. And in fact, he was flying a bombing mission when I was born. Mm -hmm. Didn't see me until I was not... And I am the emotional one, I'm sorry. And didn't see me until I was nine months old. And when he came back, we never went to church. Uh, my family was raised Lutheran, 
And uh, when uh, I got to high school, we moved to Austin after Daddy retired. And uh, or when he retired after the Korean conflict. And we uh, moved to Austin, and one of their good friends took me to Vacation Bible School. The over-under on how quickly we would need tissues was three minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just lost 50 bucks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I warned him that he didn't really want me to do this because I couldn't get through it. I never can. Even when I was doing church work, I couldn't get through the interviews without being a sob story. But anyway, Katie took me to church to vacation Bible school every day. She picked me up. Mother and Daddy never said I couldn't go. And at that vacation Bible school, one of the object lessons that day was a white bottle and a black bottle. It was a simple science lesson. And with Christ in your life, your life could be like this, filled with light. Without Christ in your life, your life looked like that. And when Christ comes into your life, your life turns, gains light, and you're saved, you're secure forever, you're born again, whatever the latest nomenclature is to indicate all that. But I knew at that point that he had saved me. Now, there's not much you can do when you're 11 years old on your own. Katie picked me up every Sunday for church, took me. When I got to drive, when I was older, I drove myself to church. And then I went to high school. And I met Jerry. Well, before the summer, before I went to high school, I met him at the grocery store because I took care of mother. Mother was the school secretary and I stayed at home and did the cooking and things and watched my younger brothers and sister. And met Jerry. And he was a sacker, right? He was the sacker. sacker. He, yeah. he was checking the groceries. And mother and daddy would go to work and leave me at home and I would fix lunch for him and I'd walk down to, and there's a bit of a dispute about what the name of the store was after 60 years, but <laughs> whatever it was, he was there. Checker front. <laughs> it was Big Bear. But anyway. Am I going to have to separate you two? <laughs> anyway, I, you know, and I flirted with him and, you know, and then I got to high school and he was a big bad senior. <laughs> and uh, we started dating and... On her 15th birthday. Yeah, it was my first day. date wow. on my 15th birthday and we've been together ever since. Uh, and it was through him that I came to understand how critically important the Word of God is. Mm -hmm and knowing the Word of God, and studying the Word of God, and memorizing the Word of God. And uh, I tended to follow him everywhere, and that started very early in our marriage, because he was in the, R it was in the ROTC, he went into the Army, and he was on active duty during Vietnam, and got called for Vietnam, and I was gonna have to go back home, And I prayed that I wouldn't have to leave him. 
but, you know, God has his plan. And his plan has been on my life mm -hmm. since that little black bottle. Mm -hmm. And I've seen him work throughout the whole and forever. So he ended up getting through God's hand, went to South Korea instead of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. He was doing supply buying for the troops in Vietnam. And uh, so he was gone about six weeks. I lived with his, he has a sister my age and a bunch of older ones. And uh, I lived with the older one and the one my age and got a letter from a gal in South Korea and she was there with her husband. And I said, well, <laughs> if she can go, I can go. It didn't matter that I had a baby. I was going to go anyway. So my my I older sister. Yeah. That, his, his oldest sister, Sarah. So I got the wheels going with all my shots. And Jerry's oldest sister drove us to his other sister who lived in California. And I got a a visa to go to South Korea because the government wasn't, they would give me my shots, they wouldn't pay my way over, and they wouldn't provide housing when I got there. So what, you know, when you're 20 years old, you don't really care what's going on. And you were he, in love. I was in love, <laughs> and he was over there, and I wasn't gonna stay in Texas. So we went, and I got there, and Again, God's hand worked. I got, because I can take shorthand and I can type. Y'all don't, half of you don't know what shorthand is, but. <laughs> I got a job working at 8th Army. Got to stay there with him. Uh, and how long were you in South Korea then? We were 15 there months. 15 months. Uh, and again, it, it, was, it was incredible. We didn't go to church, but I knew God was with me, and I read my Bible, and uh, then we got back to the States, and that was not an easy task because while I had earned my transportation back by the government for having been an apartment army civilian for 13 months, our daughter Sarah, who at this point was 15 months old, had not. So she was going to get to fly commercial by herself. Yes. <laughs> so uh, because I worked for the, I was the secretary for the general G3, he pulled some strings and we got a special permission to she had to go with us. We got back to the States and things changed. We had missed church and Jerry being raised in church, he really missed going to church. So we started back and we ended up in various and sundry little Bible churches and really learned the word. We, when we first married, we were with his daddy's church. He was a Bible Presbyterian and he was, it was, it was good. So when we got back to the States, we started memorizing scripture and JB will probably remember, everybody memorized scripture. Yeah, Bible Memory Association. Yeah. Anybody know Bible Memory Association by any chance? Yeah, it was it was popular back then. It it's still around. It's not quite as popular as it was in the '60s, but we memorized seven verses a week for 15 weeks, 
and the kids memorized out of an ABC book and then they went all the way through and they graduated from Bible Memory Association. Well, now by now Sarah's three and we really wanted another child. And so I prayed about it and I read and I knew all the stories that God had given. Gave Sarah a baby, you know. And when I got pregnant, it was wonderful. Only problem was, I, it was a troubled pregnancy. So I spent a bunch of time in Fort Eustis Army Hospital <laughs> <laughs> with my Bible. And we belonged to a little Presbyterian church then in Hampton Roads, Virginia, called Calvary Presbyterian. And while I was in the hospital, they were running a Bible memorization contest. Well, okay. I, they had, they picked out, Pastor Wolf picked out a bunch of, two pages of verses. I memorized all those verses and won a Bible, which I still carry today, a King James Bible. And so the whole time I was pregnant with him, he was hearing God's word. So that was that was a harbinger of things to come. Me yes. you trouble. Little, yeah. little did we know that he would reincarnate <laughs> his Jerry's daddy and become an eschatologist and starts really studying the prophecy and, and all that. And, and I, I, you know, I, I stand back and I look at what God has done with my life. I've had lots of opportunities. When I was in Korea, I bought a piano. Now, I am not a pianist. I'm a skilled musician. That, then there is a difference. Uh, and got piano, served us because I ended up playing the piano at various churches. God used what little skill I had to, to serve in churches. He used my teaching ability for teaching women's classes. I was able to teach children and since I found my salvation in Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School has always been near and dear to me. So wherever we've lived, I've done Vacation Bible School. And because I think it's important for the kids to hear young. I also went through evangelical teachers training. I went through, I don't know if any of you know child evangelism. His parents were directors in child evangelism, and so I went through all that training shit and, and did backyard Bible clubs for the kids. So the poor child, even because I didn't get what his father got, I wanted to be sure that they got that. So I made sure they were always in the Word. And I think God has honored that, and he has blessed that. And we are now really seeing how God has used all the studying and all the Bible memorization that we did to put JB where he is. Yeah, now. no question. I, I, I think you know. I, I can't tell you how often verses just come to my mind, and I might not have looked at them or even thought about them for years in some cases, and it just pops back into your mind. And I can remember as a young boy uh, having, for some reason, I think it was typically on Sunday afternoons, and I don't know. I seem to remember like we were supposed to be memorizing from our little booklets mm. all week long, but I ended up always putting it off. And right, we because we, we recited the verses on uh, Sunday nights yeah. 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 To, the, the he, the, to the person that was 
the monitor for our program. Yeah, and I couldn't go out and play after church on Sunday. <laughs> this was back when they had Sunday night I was services a little too. Tough. <laughs> until I had them done. So, you know, in a perfect world, I would have already had them all memorized, but I ended up spending many a Sunday afternoon after Sunday lunch in my bedroom cramming and memorizing all these verses. Like he does uh, now for his services. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for coming. <laughs> now, I'd like, let me complete the story on her dad because uh, we left him hanging because he, he was not a happy family for the time. So when I went to ask him, could we be married? So at this time, she must have been almost 16. She was she's old. <laughs> he was out in the front yard. He was a big hunter. He was practicing his bow and arrow Right when I went to ask him. So he was like this, and I, and I asked him, can I marry Judy? And he said, what? <laughs> exactly what he did. He didn't shoot me, but we weren't sure We weren't sure he would even come to the wedding at the time, but he did. And in fact, he taught me to hunt. I killed my first two deers with him. He taught me to fish. She used to do all the hunting and fishing until I came along. And once I replaced her in that regard, I went every time. So I learned a whole lot about hunting and fishing. And I talked to him. He knew my testimony. When he got ill and spent the last few years in, a, in a, like an assisted living place, and I knew he, he wasn't going to be around long. He had emphysema from heavy smoking in early years. Uh, I wanted to make sure that he knew where he was going when he died. So I asked him, I said, do you know, one, one day when I was out visiting him, I asked him, do you know where you're going when you die? He said, yes, I'm going to heaven. I said, how do you know? Because he said, because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and He died for my sins and rose again. I don't even know how He, I didn't even know He'd ever even heard that except here in his talk. But uh, the, He articulated the gospel so clearly. And it wasn't long after that He passed away. He was, he was pretty young, in my, my estimate, 70. It's pretty young. <laughs> so, anyway, that was a happy ending to that family there. Well, He was 70? It seemed like He was older. But I guess not. He died right? in 91, and He was born in 1918. Hmm. Yeah, he was 70, around 70. 70, 30 then. Yeah. 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 Hmm. But well, he had heard, you know, I, I, he, he accused me of being a John the Baptist more than once. Yeah. That I just <laughs> needed the sandals and the... <laughs> uh, and, but, uh, so that was a relief to know. And mother, mother had professed faith, too. So at least we know where they are. Mm -hmm. So you're, you weren't raised in a Christian environment, um, so most of your spiritual growth happened after you were married, is that, or maybe a little bit in high school when your friend was taking you to church and right, stuff. Right, yeah. 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 Um, so talk to me a little bit about uh, the journey after you were, you were married. Um, you, you moved a lot, obviously. Um, I can remember moving a lot as a kid. Um, but, you know, you always found a good Bible teaching church, is that right? Yeah, we, uh, we, we always looked for the church with the name Bible in it, if we could find one. But my dad was raised Presbyterian, uh, but then he became a Bible Presbyterian minister. He was a different, a different denomination, more conservative. So when we moved to, when I got out of the Army, and we moved to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and we were looking for a church. We didn't find at that time, there was a Bible church, Oak Ridge Bible Church, where we ended up going. But the first Sunday we were there, we went, we decided we'd just go to the Presbyterian Church. So we, we drove into the parking lot and I, we had our Bibles with us. And I got out and I was walking in the front door and one of the elders met me at the front door, introduced himself, I introduced myself. And he said, 
are you preaching today? And I said, no. He said, well, I noticed you had your Bible, and we don't have a preacher. We've got a guest coming, and nobody really knows what he looks like. I thought you might be him. <laughs> I was the only one here with my Bible. So that we, wasn't the church for you? No, it was not the church for me. So we, we settled on a little uh, Oak Ridge Bible Church, and uh, uh, the pastor there named Carrie Perdue became a major influence in our life on Bible teaching, especially Bible prophecy. We've supported him ever since then. He went to the Philippines. He was an uh, executive director of the, the uh, Council on Bible Inerrancy for a couple of years, and he's he done a lot of things. I still I hear from him almost every day by email. He's, he's almost 80, no, almost 90. And so he's become a very, very close friend. So he was a major influence on both of us, ours on getting into deep Bible study, especially Bible prophecy, but just Bible study in general. So uh, Granddaddy Hickson, your dad, obviously was a, a Bible preacher, right. uh, but he went into ministry late in, later in life, right? Yeah, yeah he, was, uh, he owned a, a gray pet. Anybody remember the soda water gray pet? Little small bottle of grape drink. I don't think they had it in Colorado. They might, they might have, but these, not everybody's from Colorado. <laughs> but he opened up the first grape pet plant in Texas. He was in Arkansas before sold Dr. Pepper. So he had, did grape pet for a while, and then the Lord called him at age 50. He was about 49 or 50. The Lord, he felt the Lord calling him into full-time Christian ministry. He, uh, there was a couple of. Uh, tent revivalists that would come through that he got to know pretty well and he, he heard a lot of good Bible teaching and he really thought, really became interested in the Bible. So he sold the plant and it was in Longview, Texas and we moved to to Dallas and he attended Dallas Bible Institute and uh, never got to, he never got, never went to college so he didn't have the education to get into seminary but he went to Bible college and uh, so that he, you know, he's like, oh now he's now 55 years old. So he started three or four churches. He was a church planner. He started a church in the Indian community up in Oklahoma. He just started three or four churches in Austin. Never really, never really took off, but he was happy. He loved to teach. He loved the Bible. He loved to, loved to he'd go to the prisons and ministry, go out to the Air Force Base and hold a Bible study there. So all his life he was in the ministry, but he, he never, never made a living at it. He was always doing something else to make a living, but he, he made sure that we understood the Bible. We were the Bible was read every day in our house, and we every evening we had prayer around our family at our family before we went to bed. So he was a major influence on my life, um, and uh, that's his story. Yeah, and so uh, Bible Presbyterian. If any of you are not familiar with that sort of group, it was Carl S. McIntyre was the founder of it, and very. Uh, and I didn't know all this till. Uh, really till after he died when I looked through a lot of his stuff that was bequeathed to me. But Carl McIntyre, interestingly enough, was a, a big conspiracy guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he really was uh, avant-garde, avant very anti-establishment. Uh, even at one point, ended up moving offshore onto a boat off of Cape May to do his radio program uh, during a time when he had been you know, told he couldn't couldn't do it unless you know so he had to go offshore so anyway uh so i come by it honestly so that was that was kind of interesting piece of information that's um, why i say he's otho reincarnated <laughs> yeah o uh, logan otho hickson was my was my grandfather died in 85 right yep yep and um so um so anyway so he he uh, benefited from when he felt led into the ministry 
even though he didn't go to Dallas Seminary, a lot of the Dallas Seminary professors moonlighted at Dallas Bible Institute. Right. And so a lot of the professors that I ended up having when I went to Dallas Seminary, he had had. You know, the John Walvers, the Howard Hendrickses, the uh, Charles Ryries, people like that. I don't know if he specifically had Ryrie, but he had a lot of those. Um, so that was kind of another interesting um, uh, parallel. And my journey to get to Dallas Seminary was also quite a, a miraculous thing. Again, you know, like my mom said, there's just so many points in our life where, you know, the, hand, the Lord's hand was, you know, was clearly on it. And you look back and you can see uh, through the good and the bad things happening. I mean, we had, you know, like most families, we had serious, you know, tragedies and crises and, and issues along the way. M many points in my life that could have derailed me entirely, you know. But yet God, uh, you know, God is faithful and he never, uh, you know, he never wavered in his calling in my life. And that's, I think, owing to just you know, God's call in my life. You know, so many uh, prophets and, you know, people in Scripture you see were called from their mother's womb. Paul mentions that uh, and so forth. And, you know, uh, I'm certainly no prophet or apostle, but I, I feel like God had a, a plan for my life, you know. Um, as David said, before God formed you in the womb, I knew you, you know. So um, so anyway, so, uh, so you talked a little bit about your salvation and then, you know, uh, growing up, you had four, had four sisters, sisters. Mm -hmm. uh, three older and one younger. We saw her yesterday. She lives in the Denver area. She's three years younger than me. The, the, the three, the two older, what did I say? Yeah, three older. Three yeah, older. Three three older. older. <laughs> and one, three older. One, one of them is uh, 16 years older than me. I was, she was, she was 16 when I was, 16, no, 16 older than me. So she was a big UT fan, big UT graduate she went to University of Texas Austin with Tom Landry back in that that's how same class yeah big the class of Tom Landry so uh, so before I could even talk and walk I was given the hook em horn sign and <laughs> singing the eyes of Texas you know so there was no choice for me but to go to UT yeah so so she was 16 years older than me she she died in 08 and then my the next oldest one was 14 years older than me she died earlier she died in like 2000 and then my next oldest sister, who's two years older than me, she lives in Annapolis. Her husband worked for the Navy for many, many years. They're both retired, living in Annapolis. But they're all, they all serve the Lord. They all, you know, they all play the piano. They all usually, most of them play the piano at church at one time or another. They all taught Sunday school class. They all grew up in the same Christian home I did. And uh, they talk about the Lord and still, and their kids, uh, it doesn't always, you know, there's no guarantee, right? There's no guarantee that your kids, just because you're saved and your kids are saved, there's no guarantee. It's all personal, individual. Mm -hmm. We're saved individually. So not all of the, as you travel down the line with my sisters and their kids, it's not all, it's not all rosy, right? Not all of them that we know of have come to know the Lord, although we really don't know, but you know, you just don't know. So it's a, it's an you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to be saved just because your parents are saved. It's individual. So we pray for their kids, and we've seen them a lot. And so there's several nieces and nephews down the road that we don't know if they're saved or not. So, so I want to shift gears in a second to some Bible prophecy stuff, but um, I'm really, really enjoying just kind of hearing this reminiscing and so <laughs> forth. But um, 
So you talk about some of your sisters and nieces and nephews. Um, talk about your kids. So you, I've got two sisters, and you've got how many grandkids now? Eleven grandkids and three great-grandkids. And they're all pretty much grown. The youngest one is, is Abby, who's 15, right? Yes. You know, yeah, you know Abby. for sure? She's, I'm 100% on that. <laughs> <laughs> so the oldest one is 30, and Bethany's number two. She's 29, or will be. So they're scattered all over the place, but they all know the Lord. They're all serving the Lord. Uh, all my the kids are, and the grandkids, uh, I believe, I believe they're all. I know the. I think they all know the Lord. I'm sure, sure they all do by now. Yeah, they do. They all do, and they're serving the Lord in different ways. I've got a grandson that teaches, uh, that plays a, a bass in the church, and this is modern church today. You know, they got to have a bass, right? <laughs> and he also teaches drums, and then his sister, our oldest granddaughter, uh, teaches oboe lessons, and makes oboe reeds for a living, partial, a lot of them. She got a master's in oboe, and then her sister. Uh, and also, she's uh, she's uh, active in her church too. Plays piano, plays other instruments too. And her sister uh, also is active in their church. So that's my daughter's three kids. Then my other daughter has two sons. She's not married, but her two sons are, are away at college. They profess the Lord at an early age. They're not necessarily growing in the Lord these days, but you know God will bring them back in His time. Yeah. Uh, they're not. They're not doing anything I'm ashamed of that they're not really active in a church but uh, maybe they will be soon we pray for them every day so um, so that's my, my three yeah. kids yeah. so how did you and this is for both of you we'll let you go first how, how did you get interested in Bible prophecy because um, I know we've talked about it a lot we, I remember talking around the table or just in conversations <laughs> with you across the chess table you know and I was mostly beating you at chess mostly you yeah. no mostly yeah. my dad was very interested in Bible prophecy and for it's amazing for someone with no real formal education other than the Bible school no seminary how much he how advanced he was in his knowledge of the things about the rapture and the second coming and the difference between the two and and the thousand years the millennium he knew that he just and he only did that from studying the Bible he didn't have I don't know if he had any commentaries. I don't know where he, but he just studied the Bible. That's all he ever did was study the Bible. So he would. He, we couldn't have a conversation unless we talked about the future, about the. And I wasn't necessarily interested, you know. So, but I learned a lot about it. And then we had a, this pastor I told you about in Oak Ridge, Kerry Purdue. He was a big uh, prophecy buff, so he would teach his prophecy. But it really wasn't until JB got really deep into interested that he. He kind of brought me back in line with things that I had learned and knew and heard, but didn't really, I didn't have the depth. So it's really, you were as much of an influence on me as I was on you, I have to say. Well, well maybe, but go ahead. <laughs> Mine's a little bit different. When we moved to Oak Ridge, after the um, Oak Ridge Bible Church kind of collapsed, uh, we moved to a little Baptist church called, a Southern Baptist church called Glenway Baptist. And we went to Saint school and those people thought that the Bible was a storybook. And I sat in those classes and I just went berserk. <laughs> you know, because this was not what God had told me or how it was. And, but you can't argue that. I got nowhere because I do have a little bit of Irish temper and I would get a little put out with some of them and let them know it. And uh, that wasn't good. So I quit going and I started studying. 
through Moody. I went through several. Back then, it was correspondence. Yeah, Moody correspondence. You did the lessons, and you mailed them in, and they sent them back to you, and you've got your tests and, and all that. So I did Moody Bible Institute. And then we moved back to Austin for, and his daddy started in on this, <laughs> that the world was coming to an end in seven years. And, you know, I had small babies. I was barely 20-something. They hadn't even hit 30s yet. And I thought, I'm not ready for the world to end yet. So started studying it and listening to him. And the more we studied, the more I studied. And JB's not really wild about Schofield, but I oh, thought, I am too. well, okay. Yeah, I love <laughs> okay. He's right now. <laughs> yeah, right now with me sitting next to him. He agrees with me on everything. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, so I went through all the Schofield stuff and went through the dispensations and, and really started grasping the big picture and believing that this was going to happen, but not in the depth. And, and I, I also got into the conspiracy stuff. I believe there was a lot of bad stuff going on. But when I shared it, there were those members of the family who <laughs> thought that I was, you know, going a little off the deep end. So I just, you know, kind of kept it to myself and I studied these things. And, and I guess I talked to JB about them a little, but not much. And then when he started getting into it, uh, you know, he would tell me these things, and I'd say, uh-huh. Luciferians, <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> but anyway, so I, it was through JB's, I think it, God worked through both of us to produce in him the love and the knowledge and the desire that he has to be able to interpret these things and get them and present them because he has a gift to take the word and make it understandable. Yeah. Mm. For sure. And I think God used that and inter, inter, interspersed our lives, which is what he does. Each one of us sitting here can look back on our life and say, uh huh, he did that because he knew when we got to. Oak Ridge, Tennessee, they were going to need a pianist. That's why he let me buy a piano and ship it back. And the government had to ship it back for me. You know, all these things, each one of us can yeah, look each, back and Each say, step of the way, you know. He guides um, our way. No doubt. I mean, I, you go back. When I was teaching full-time, uh, one of the assignments I would give students is called life mapping, where you kind of journey, you know, tell your journey uh, from the spiritual side of when you came to know the Lord and then, you know, how God directed your path along the way. And it was really fascinating for me because I had to do it to be able to illustrate it. And there are so many pivotal points where through life circumstances, sometimes beyond your control, sometimes through bad choices that you make, whatever it might be, you know, you're, you're at a crossroads. And, you know, at the time, it was, it's very painful and you might wonder, how is this going to turn out and why did this happen and those kinds of things but then over time when you look back you can sort of say ah I see because if that hadn't happened this wouldn't happen if this hadn't happened this wouldn't happen and uh, you know that's that's been the Lord's hand on 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 our life you know Wendy and I've been married 31 years now and certainly had our share of heartache but we've had great blessings uh, too and even in, you know even in the last couple of weeks with all this flooding and the damage and stuff you know the Lord's given us perspective because there are people who've lost 
children, lost loved ones, had major crises, and you know, it's, this is all just stuff. You know, it's all going to rust and stay behind when we meet the Lord. So, uh, you know, we don't know why the Lord has us walk through what He does, but uh, but it is definitely, you know, His hand in, in all of it. Yeah. Uh, now, one one thing I remember, and I, I've always assumed it came from you, but perhaps if you remember it, you'll remember. Was it good it. or bad? It was. <laughs> it was good. Uh, it did. I'm not going to say any of the bad stuff. So, um, no. Um, Maybe this is something Granddaddy had had influenced you on, but I can remember, you know, talking with you about Bible prophecy and, and you you mentioning that the key question to ask if you want to know where a preacher or a Bible teacher is coming from in their eschatology is, um, what's the next great event that's going to happen? Right. And if they say second coming of Christ, then either they're confused <laughs> or they're not accurate. Right. But if they say the rapture then you know, ah, they, they're kind of well-studied and they've connected the dots accurately. So yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember it. In fact, the, the event that drove us from this Glenwood Baptist Church was the pastor talking about uh, prophecy. He had a whole class. It was just like a Sunday evening class about the second coming. And so he kept talking about the tribulation of the second coming. And, on, and finally, Judy raised her hand. She said, what about the rapture? Because he had never mentioned it. And he said, what's that? He had never heard the term before. This is Southern Baptist Church. And it turns out he, he hadn't had any formal training, but he probably would have got there anyway. No. No. But he did not even know, he had never even heard a term. So, so we left. We were gone the next day. Yeah. So. I remember when we moved from Connecticut to Houston, uh, when I was in finishing up the eighth graders toward the end of my eighth grade year, uh, we visited a church. It was a Southern Baptist church because that's pretty much all the Baptist churches yeah, down yeah. there are Southern Baptists. But if I remember, and I, you know, memories are faulty sometimes, so maybe it's it's a it's something I've created in my mind over <laughs> 30, 40 years. But uh, I, the, when we visited the church that ended up where I got licensed to the ministry, ended up having a profound influence on my life. The Sunday we visited, the pastor was preaching on the rapture, mm -hmm. and you came away with that saying, "This is the one." Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, yeah. That's, that's what it did right there. Brother Billy J. Crosby was his name. Yep, still living, I think. Right? He is oh, yeah. Didn't we, we just see us. a picture of him? Yeah. He was at uh, their 50th uh, we reunion. We had the 50th here Northwest. Oh yeah, that's reunion, right. Yeah, yeah. And he was did a video. Yeah. So it was. Uh, there are some good conservative pre-tribulational dispensational Southern Baptist preachers, but it's rare because most. Southern Baptist institutions, uh, at best, are historic pre-mill, and at worst, are amillennial altogether. They right. don't really teach a pre-tribulational dispensational approach, by and large. Fortunately, most of them don't teach error because they don't teach anything. Yeah, so right. it's not like they're saying there is no rapture, uh, or the next event is the second coming. They don't do. That. They don't get that far. So if they did that. Then you could choose and you could just leave. So they're mostly a social type gospel and, and, and be kind and all that. So they're not teaching error. They're just not teaching truth either. Right. Well, and uh, I have uh, friends that, that call me an ecumenicalist, which is, you know, the ones that know me really well wouldn't even dare do that. But uh, outsiders do. And the reason is because whenever we move to a new area, we visited the churches and we listened. Sometimes we got involved, like at Glen Glenwood, for, uh, until, until the era was bad. 
until the era was horrible. But we always quizzed the preachers. We always had them over, and we knew where they stood. And if you're in a denomination, sometimes you have to to hold your job. I, I mean, ministry is a job in, in addition to being a calling. It, and uh, so we were always very careful about that. We wanted to be sure that they were saved, born again, whatever your terminology is, that they knew the Lord and they loved the Lord and they believed the Bible. That was critical to me because that was what guided my world or still guides my world. Yeah. So uh, we've been Lutherans, Presbyterians, we've been Bible church, community church, chapel churches. Uh, you sound like an ecumenicist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to set the record straight on Schofield. So my first Bible was <laughs> a Schofield reference Bible. I still have it. Uh, and I grew up on the Schofield notes. Now, in, especially in the realm of Bible prophecy, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of mis- uh, representations about Schofield. There's even conspiracies about Schofield. There are people out there that think Schofield was a bad guy. None of that's true. At, at, at the PhD level, I actually had to study Schofield and his history. I actually had to read every single note in the 1917 Schofield Reference oh. Bible and then compare it to the 1954 Revised Schofield, which was edited by John Walvert, who corrected you know a lot of things, and just kind of see the differences and so forth. And Schofield was it was a great man of God. He was a typical turn of the 20th century, you know, Bible Presbyterian, not the McIntyre time, but just a Bible teaching Presbyterians before the Presbyterians went off the reservation. Uh, Bible teacher and uh, heavily connected to a lot of the great Dallas greats, you know, the the Moody's and the Chafers and, and that and that bunch, uh, Gabeline and uh, 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 Ironside and people like that. So. Uh, but I, I love Schofield. I mean, I know. Uh, you I know, know, he's <laughs> not, no, there's no perfect Bible teacher. He had some things that I wouldn't agree with, um, but, you know, I don't agree with myself half the time. So, you know. <laughs> um, but I want to shift gears now because I want to allow time for questions. Um, but I'd like to get your perspective on, especially knowing about the, the grand conspiracy as the Bible talks about, God versus Satan, Satan trying to take over the world. Uh, what are what are some things that you've seen change that are notable in in your lifetime? I mean, um, and I'll let you go first, and, and you can be thinking about it. But what what are you know what are some changes that you've seen that Just might indicate we're getting close to the end well, of the age? Persecution of the church. You, you don't you know you, you don't have the freedom. You you can't say you can't say anything Christ. You know, that supports Christianity without somebody coming back. And the, the problem is the those that, that are anti-Christian aren't afraid to speak out and be belligerent. We as Christians, we, we're, not that, we're not built that way. We're not going to fight back that way. So the, just the attack on Christianity is the, the big thing I've seen. But but the, just the, the pornography and the, the language, the deconstruction of language, the movies and stuff that you would never, ever think about being on television or at all are just blatant out there. Not even they went. They went to where only prime time, only certain hours, like after nine o'clock, you could say certain words or see certain. Th- now it's just just twenty four hours. So, <laughs> so I think the advent of uh, of, the, of TV, of the internet, and the uh, not the net three network stations, but all the freedom of the broadcasting. You have all this horrible 
stuff out there that is totally different than when I grew up. My parents, I don't know what they would do. My dad couldn't even, my dad wouldn't even watch any commercial on television. We didn't have remotes back then. He'd get up, walk over, and turn down the TV during any commercial of any, especially a beer commercial. But he got that was where it started. Then he got to where he just wouldn't watch any commercial. And you'd be watching TV with him, and when the commercial was over, if it was a football game or something, he wouldn't turn it back up. If you wanted it back up, you had to go turn it up. <laughs> so so that, the change in the change in what you can see and hear is the big thing I've noticed. Yeah, that's 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 a big one. Uh, well, I think that it's everything that he said, plus it's the interference in our personal lives that we're not really paying attention to. That troubles me greatly. Uh, like Big Brother stuff? Well, like nobody really pays attention, family members, friends, when you're listening to the news, you're not picking up that it's being controlled. Mm. You just, they don't. And I had an eye-opening when I was 20 years old there in South Korea working for the G3. And the one of the space, very early space things blew up in Houston. And it came in as a top secret message. And uh, there was a big meeting. I'm sitting there taking notes to print out the memo afterwards. And they're not going to release that information through the new Air Force, the Armed Forces newsletter that went out all over Europe, Asia, wherever there were troops, Vietnam, there. That newspaper went out and it gave you world news and it gave you back home news. And they refused to release that. And here I'm sitting and I'm thinking, these people are controlling what we know. That's right. That's right. And I'm thinking, that's kind of when I got the seeds of the conspiracy mess going on around me. And so that would have been in 65? 66, 67. 66, 66. Okay, because Sarah, Sarah was born in 64. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't over there in 69? No. No. Right, so you didn't hear anything about, you know, Stanley Kubrick and no. a secret set on an <laughs> army base? And, you know, no, no. No, we were back in Oak no. Ridge by then. We were but, you know, and uh, you never, well, and this sounds like JB and I apologize, but you never, <laughs> never know what you don't know and yeah. what they're telling you. No, I, and, you and I felt that from early on when I talked, moved from Connecticut, which is extremely li liberal where I taught school, and I could sit down on the floor in blue jeans. I could teach them what I wanted. I'd take them outside and, and let them learn kind of the modern age Montessori stuff, and I know Mon Montessori has improved a great deal since back in the 60s and the 70s. But the problem is that when I came to Texas, it was rigid. Mm -hmm. I had to teach to a skill test. I had to make these babies do things they want to. Even now, my granddaughter that teaches pre-K, those kids have to be able to make a complete essay with three complete sentences before they can move to up to kindergarten to really learn that stuff. So they're indoctrinating them in all these pre-things and all these wonderful pre-programs that they give you 
the way they want them to think. Oh, it's totally programmed. We know that. You know, I mean, and yeah. it just. Yeah, I mean that's that we know. We've talked about that a lot in some of my books and things. The history yeah. of the compulsory government you wrote a book? movement. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, you know, I get the last word. So. Um, so one more here that I really am just curious about. What are some major world events that stand out in your mind that you've witnessed in your lifetime? You know, oh, well. let's start with you this time. Yeah. Okay. Probably uh, the same ones because we're about. Yeah, the they might be, but you might have different I'm recollections. I'm so much older. I probably know about more. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the the eye-opening thing in, in uh, Eighth Army uh, with the news that was a, a big thing. Then when I started uh, teaching school and the Challenger blew up, mm -hmm. we couldn't. We couldn't. We were supposed to maintain our decor, and when I was teaching PE at an elementary school, we had a shooter on the loose. And that, people, was back in the 80s. Mm -hmm. That was not recent. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I, I, that, then, when, the, when I was watching NBC News, and yes, please forgive me, I no longer do that. <laughs> uh, I watched the jet fly into the Oh, yeah, Twin yeah. Towers, yeah, mm -hmm. and we have a nephew that lives right there at the Twin Towers in mm -hmm. the, some apartments down there in Battery Park, and you know, I thought, this is it. Yeah, really, we thought the tribulation, I thought at that moment I questioned whether pre-trib was actually right. Yeah. Well, I really did. I thought, have I missed something? Because I thought it was I know, I thought, oh over. dear. Reverend Hickson is right. Yeah. This is this is coming. This yeah. is it. That was a, a shocker. And then now it just don't watch days, TV so. anymore. I don't yeah. read the news. Uh, and Granddaddy was he was definitely pre-trib. Yeah. Yes. But he was in the seventies is when you're talking about yeah. was you know late Great Planet Earth, Hal mm -hmm. Lindsey, and there was a lot of date setting going on and people, you know, similar to today in some ways of people saying, look myself included, it, it's got to be close. Now, I'm not setting dates because I know that's not right, but it just sure seems like we're getting closer than ever before. Um, what about you? What are some major... Uh, the, the big, the first big one was the Kennedy assassination. I remember that mm -hmm. clearly. I was a senior in, in college, and I was over at the Sears Roebuck store at the time writing a, uh, doing a paper, research paper, on uh, how Sears collects bad debt from their customers that don't pay their credit card. I was up in the credit department interviewing the credit manager when they came in and told me that the president was shot. So I, that's how vivid that is. And that was, you were in Dallas? Uh, no, I was in Austin. Oh, in Austin. Going okay. to UT, yeah. Okay. So I remember that very clearly. I remember the uh, Whitman, uh, the University of Texas Tower, where that guy climbed up on the tower and killed 20-something people mm -hmm. shooting. I knew one of the, actually I knew one of the ladies that was killed because I worked in that tower my whole five years I was at UT. And this is just a few years after, I was, a couple of years after I was gone. And she was, she's the one that stood at the desk at the bottom of the tower to let people go up to the tower. And he walked in and killed her. So I knew her. And uh, so that was a big event, that one. And then of course the Challenger and the Discovery, or, or is that the other one? Columbia. 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 The Challenger yeah. Columbia, I remember both of those, obviously. And then, you know, some other big ones, but that's, those are the big ones in my life. Of course, the Twin Towers, I was, uh, had just started a new, a new job in the same company, but a different location. 
and I was uh, doing my first week tour around the departments, talking to each of the department heads when uh, when we got the word, hey, the Twin Towers been hit, and so we all thought it was an accident until we started listening. So they told us all to go home. So I went home and was there when the second plane hit. I got to see it. We were together then. So that was one that you'll never forget. So those were big, big events, and all of those were life-changing events for everybody right there. And then COVID, of course, the, the oh. planned scandemic, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. That's it. All right, so let's open the floor. We've got some time left. It can be a question about anything, prophecy, Bible, a question for them. Uh, by the way, thank you for doing this. I mean, this is uh, very selfish because, you know, uh, they're, they're not young nope. anymore. And uh, no, so this will be a, just a great thing to have for posterity. And uh, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, you know, show my grandkids someday. And uh, uh, But uh, anyway, I really appreciate it. I know it's not easy, but... Uh, I kind of put them on the spot. That's fun. It's always yeah, fun. Yeah. So what questions do you have? And I'm going to have someone uh, take this mic around so that we can be sure and capture it for those people that are uh, listening. Yes, over here, Fred. Judy? Yes, sir. Say that again. Say that again, Fred. It's a Schofield System Study Bible. Yeah. yeah. But it's I do have a question. Here, I have a question for you, Judy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's deep. Thanks. How did JB get his name? Uh, Ooh, that's a great question. I've been wondering that Well, it's, it, names are very difficult for us uh, because I was kind of young and wanted the lovely names, and he didn't want the names that, that I wanted. And, and he absolutely refused to do a junior, and I agree because I didn't want my child to grow up as a junior. So we settled upon his first name and his grandfather's middle name. His grandfather was named Pleasant Blaine. And so we chose Jerry Blaine. And that was wonderful and we had no trouble with it because in the South you go by Jerry Blaine. That's, that's not a big deal until <laughs> we moved to Connecticut. And they thought that he was my child by a previous marriage because he was Jerry Blaine. Oh, really? <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. He's named after his daddy and his great granddaddy. And um, so then we, and as he, by the, then he was eight, ten, and by, we started calling him by his initials, JD. And which is kind of interesting. I wanted him to be named Jeb. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how the wives always went out. I wanted my first son to either be called Irvin or Emmett. And, uh, <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't work out, but uh, named him a family name, Morgan Blaine, after my yeah, Morgan dad. Is my middle name. And my middle name is Blaine. Morgan's so. my, my grandmother and my mother's side's name. So it's kind of a combination of names here. But and then my second son. We did name Landry, so there's, you know, there's that. He won one. Yeah. <laughs> but he's been JB for as long as I can remember. I, yeah. I, we, we, we don't, call we don't even Blaine. think of him as Jerry one of her, Blaine. One of her sisters still calls okay. him Jerry Blaine. Okay. She doesn't call him JB, never has, and mm -hmm. she calls him Jerry Blaine. And she always pinches my cheeks, so I get real <laughs> nervous when she calls me Jerry Blaine. I, yeah. um, over here, okay? <laughs> and Dave, you can't have her asking your questions by proxy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I don't even know how to pronounce it, but you said that people accused you of being an ecumenicalist. So yeah, ecumenicism is just uh, a, a view. It typically refers to religion, where you you all religions are the same, and you don't have any stand you know differentiation that you know we, we cooperate. Uh, with other religions. It comes out of the 50s in the modernist yeah. movement when you had Catholics and Christians and people all working together for the good of the world rather than you know having biblical distinctions and doctrinal distinctions. Basically it's no doctrinal lines of distinctions. Right. You know. Good question. I was going to say you were just ahead of your time for the one world religion. Yeah, yeah was. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Aside from the Bible reading together as a family, did you have any special traditions, like playing board games or? Yeah, that's what a good one. Like besides, uh, you know, Bible reading and me mem scripture memory, did we have any family traditions? Well, obviously Thanksgiving and Christmas. We uh, we always did Christmas on Christmas morning. We weren't allowed to open anything on Christmas Eve. Yeah, we always. Well, you, well, we, cajoled, you, know, we cajoled you into opening one yeah. on Christmas Eve. Uh, family traditions. Uh, we. What's funny is we we never really took a lot of vacations, uh, where you would just say it's a vacation. We would go places, but it, we lived we lived out we of Texas, away much. from home. So we would we would come visit our parents, and then while we were there, we would take a side trip to Padre Island or something. But we we and we'd go day trips and stuff. But we didn't we didn't do a lot of vacations as a family there Don't there remember. were some uh, things he he traveled a lot and was, was <laughs> I don't here when they raised. and we did we did do family devotions yes we did uh, the kids and I did when when he wasn't there and they always hated it when it's my turn to pray <laughs> but, <laughs> can't imagine why you know, everybody does <laughs> and um, the uh, other thing that we always did was we we always started Christmas morning with the Christmas story mm -hmm. out of Luke for sure we never uh, did that we prayed before meals wherever we were didn't matter uh, and I have a thing for mottos and sayings in fact a guy does dog sitting for me one time and he says you know a person could get saved walking around your house. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I do. And when I went into the antiques, uh, he has all somewhere all of the 1870s mottos that were done on perforated board and things. So we surrounded ourselves with the word yeah. everywhere. And uh, I wasn't afraid to tell people, well, that's not in the Bible. Yeah, we had some traditions. Um, you know, we did we did take some day trips. Being mm -hmm. most of my grade school years from say second grade to eighth grade were on the nor in the Northeast. Right, and, we and went so to we, we'd all see all the, the usual places there. Um, I spent a lot of time in the city. He worked in Manhattan for five and a half years or some odd, uh, and so we spent a lot of time there. But yeah, we we. You know, we we played games some. Um, uh, as we got older, my sisters and I, especially my younger sister, who's two years younger than me, we, by that time we had moved to Houston, where I went to high school, and we, this church that we ended up going to that was r real profound influence on in my life was a big, big church, and it had a huge youth group with all the, you know, basketball leagues and softball leagues and choir and trips and mission trips and things. And our our house became kind of the, the key gathering place mm -hmm. for all the kids in the 
in the youth group. It's like you know the Hicksons were just the place that kids would come. We had a pool and we would just just play basketball and hang out and watch movies. You know, we'd always go to Blockbuster and get movies back then, the VHS kind, not the DVDs. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, it was always a, f a fun environment. Um, you know, my dad uh, coached uh, my sister's uh, softball teams mm -hmm. for several years. I ended up being an umpire, certified ASA umpire. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we had extracurricular things, uh, Julie, uh, hobbies. As far as hobbies, we played a ton of ping pong and oh. chess. And I got to be real competitive at, at table tennis. I was, how, how old was I when I basically, you were no longer a match for 10, 11? <laughs> when he was 16, you were 16. We played, we played a lot of ping pong. One day, he beat me 10 games in a row, which was unheard of. And we went to bed and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> this is a true story. This is true. This is Two o'clock in the morning. I grabbed him out of bed, drug him into the garage, and he and I beat him 11 games in a row. <laughs> that is a true story. I am very competitive, but I come by it honestly. And you left out a part of that. After that 10th game that I won, you smashed your paddle to some smithereens on the floor. So you had to you had to find a paddle to play with me when I was half asleep in my pajamas. But uh, we kept a, a, a little ticker mark on one of the studs in the garage. Uh, it's probably still there. It probably is. Uh, and, and, and over time, as I got older, uh, it, that True. my side of the T-chart had more you know, scratches in it. And, and, but any, I got to be real competitive, played in uh, college and, and uh, seminary, played with some international people, and yeah. I can't play at all now. But, um, and we played chess, played, played a lot of chess. chess. I never did get to where I could beat you, you at chess. You, you did. You did Toward I? the end, yeah. You beat me that one game that one day. <laughs> yeah, I met routinely. All right, somebody else. Uh, Randy. I hear that you uh, enjoyed the Cub Scouts. Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts. Scouts, I'm yeah. sorry. And Wait a minute. And there was some kind I don't, of I don't know where got this story. party, I think, that... This gives them a chance to get back just a little. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I, I knew you would enjoy. Remember, it. we're going to be on the air tomorrow. <laughs> I know. So, I know. <laughs> no, I think he's referring to some. Uh, you know, I as a kid, I was never very good about relaying information to right. my parents. So I was that kid that frequently, the night before a big project was due, I'd tell my mom, "Oh, I got this big project to do tomorrow," and she'd end up having to do most of it. But I guess I. There was a Halloween Halloween deal where the where he was in the Boy Scouts and everyone was supposed to show up at a Halloween party in a Western outfit, cowboy boots, just anything Western. That was the theme. That I was guess. the theme. We never knew it. He never knew it. So he just had to show up in a uniform. So she grabs a bed sheet, wraps it around him, makes a ghost out of him. <laughs> Punch, put your holes in no, there. No, I made an egg yolk out of it. No, 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 that was a different one. Oh. You made a, he was a cast, he was cast for the friendly ghost. And he showed up the only one that, that wasn't in the correct uniform. And if I'd yeah. have known, I'd put a cowboy hat on him, but. Yeah, yeah. we could have done that. Yeah, we had to parade around. Oh, yeah. They had like a that contest was... and I stuck out Give like a, a sore stuff. <laughs> but we did, I did win the Pinewood Derby one time. Remember you that? did. Yeah. He did win the Pinewood It was the ugliest car of them all because I, he made me decorate it myself. Mm. But he helped me put the weights in there and just away. We took it up to the butcher shop yeah. and, and, and had it weighed. So it was just at the limit of the maximum weight. 
and that thing was smooth, smooth. had graphene, uh, graphite on graphite. it, and uh, and it won. People yeah, thought they were laughing at it. Thought, what is this ugly looking car? But it won. First, it won place. first place. He would, he would slide down that ramp and and graphite dust just. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, it, it was legal. legal. It was legal. It was legal. legal. Heard of it, or thought of it, but when that went, thing went down the ramp, that dust went everywhere. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Somebody else. I hadn't thought about some of this stuff for years. Any uh, Bible questions or theological <laughs> questions? Oh, yeah. yeah. Here we go. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, my question is related to the last four years, and I discovered, I didn't realize I was, but I discovered I was a dispensationalist. And uh, I'm wondering, in your stories, when did that term come to dis describe, in your mind, what you believed? Ooh. That's part one question, and the second part of that question is, um, what's the difference between a hyper-dispensationalist and a dispensationalist? Yeah, great questions. I'll let you go first. Then no, I'll, no, I'm not answering yeah. this. <laughs> well, I can answer it easily. The minute I started studying Schofield yeah. with my new Schofield Bible, I became a dispensationalist, period. Yeah, so dispensationalism is a label that refers to a, a, a particular way of understanding Scripture in its literal, grammatical, historical approach. Uh, in other words, we don't allegorize the scripture. We don't, you know, practice the goosebump methodology where you read the text and then you fancifully come up with what you think it means. We just understand it from cover to cover in its literal, plain, normal sense, the way language is intended to be communicated, uh, historical, uh, grammatical, subjects, nouns, verbs, all of that matters. Uh, it's a biblical term, dispensation. It's the Greek word oikonomos that comes from Ephesians 3. So it's an actually a biblical term, but theologically, it's come to refer to those who, because of our understanding of, of Scripture and the way we handle the Scripture, we have concluded correctly, we believe, that, uh, that the church and Israel are separate programs of God, that uh, they're not the same thing. Most people today teach that the church is the new Israel, that God is done with Israel. He's forsaken them, and the church has replaced Israel. You'll sometimes hear it called replacement theology. That's the opposite of dispensationalism. We believe God's promises to Israel stand firm. They're, they're, they will come to fruition. There will be a return of Christ to take the throne in the temple, literally rebuilt brick and mortar in Jerusalem. He will reign for a thousand years. But the church is the bride of Christ. We are a mystery, a unique body that was never mentioned in the Old Testament, that came on the scene suddenly on the day of Pentecost, and it will just as suddenly remove, be removed from the scene at the rapture, both of which are called a mystery. The church and the rapture are called mysteries, meaning uh, something previously unrevealed until they were revealed in the New Testament. Um, so, uh, you know, to the extent that we were influenced by my grandfather and uh, Carrie Perdue at Oak Ridge Bible Church and a lot of Dallas seminary guys uh, that handle the Bible that way and its literal, grammatical, historical understanding, uh, I've been dispensational my whole life. And then, again, through God's journey, um, you know, I ended up 
going into ministry and getting involved early on in some of the top-level dispensational scholars of our day. And I, I studied under some of them, got my Ph.D. under some of them, was a founding member of the Council on Dispensational Hermeneutics, which is kind of the leading think tank today. Also have been active in the pre-tribulation study group by, led by uh, formerly uh, Tim LaHaye and now Tommy Ice. Uh, well, Tommy's been the director for, for, from the beginning, uh, but he's now Tim LaHaye's with the Lord. Um, and uh, so I've just kind of been able to grow and learn from some of the top you know, scholars of our day. And so I'm a unapologetically dispensational in my understanding of Scripture. Uh, as far as the distinction between dispensationalism and hyperdispensationalism, uh, there's a group uh, of folks out there that kind of started, well, I probably shouldn't say exactly when it started, but it really gave, got traction in the 50s uh, that believed that uh, the church really didn't start until Paul got saved and so they really only focus on the Pauline epistles mm -hmm. as being relevant for today and so they're very strict and narrow and they they uh, you know we, we don't agree with that we think that uh, all of scripture is profitable that you know God's word as a whole tells the story uh, the church is you know, the, the epistles today are, are very particularly directly relevant because they are written to the church and they tell us how to do church, how to live in this world. But the Bible as a whole tells God's plan of the ages. So, yeah, hyper-dispensationalists basically just believe in the Pauline epistles is the short answer. So, Okay, anybody else? Yes. What's the difference between um, post-trib and premillennialism? Okay, good question. I'll let, uh, I'll let you answer this Which, one. Between post-millennial and... Post-trib and pre-millennial. Well, post-tribulation post means mean that the, the... So, what's the, one, one deals with the timing of the rapture. Yeah. Right. Post-tribulation, yeah, pre-millennial deals with when the rapture is going to occur. No. Pre-millennial. Deals with the timing of the second coming. Timing of the second coming. Yeah, the second... Answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you taught me. So, um, no, so pre, mid, and post tribulation views have to do with the timing of the rapture. When does the rapture happen relative to the tribulation? Pre, post, and amillennial have to do with when does the second coming happen relevant to the millennium. So, pre tribulation says the rapture happens before. The 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation. Mid-tribulation believes that the rapture happens at the midpoint of the seven years. And post-tribulation believes the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. And they don't see a distinction between the rapture and the second coming. It's just one event. Premillennialism means Christ comes back before the millennium to inaugurate the kingdom and, and reign for a thousand years. Post-millennial believes that the world's going to get better and better and better, and when we finally get it all figured out and it's all a good Christian world, then Christ will come back at the end of that time to climax it. And if you were to count back a thousand years from his second coming, that would be the millennium, you know, going backwards. Amillennial, ah meaning no, means they don't believe in a millennium, that the church is the kingdom today, there's no future return of Christ that, you know, to... To, to reign anyway. He comes back, sends the saved to hell, the lost to heaven, and the lost to hell, and it's all over. So, just labels that have to do with different areas of eschatology. Um, 
you know, uh, pre-mid and post-trib relate to the timing of the rapture. Pre, ah, pre and post-mill have to do with the timing of the second coming. Right. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you. Good. <laughs> uh, did I pass the test? You did. Huh? Nice. I want to give you a chance because I wasn't sure you could do it. <laughs> well, it's not like I live this stuff or anything. So. All right, we got time for one more. Okay, great. Uh, I was waiting. You always ask such great questions. I've recently speaking with a, a friend that got sidetracked by um, a teaching that they watched on post-trib. And it made me curious. Um, they're pre-trib. It's all fine. But it made me really curious. What possible scripture does a post-tribber use to defend their position? Oh, well, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, the, most people are post-trib. Because remember, for until the Reformation, during the whole Middle Ages and stuff, people couldn't read the Bible for themselves without getting burned at the stake. Uh, the, the Catholic Church was dominant and taught that they were the kingdom and the Pope was the king and this was the fulfillment of the kingdom prophecies in Scripture. They taught that the church had replaced Israel. It was very anti-Semitic. There was no Israel on the map, right? So people thought, well, this is the new Israel. Um, but then, uh, you know, once the printing press came around and people started reading the Bible, and especially after the Reformation, uh, people began to read the Bible for what it says. I mean, it's pretty clear. You know, the Old Testament says, as long as there's a sun and a moon and the stars in the heavens, that there's going to be a future for a national Israel. And all of those promises began to kind of be taught. And that's when dispensationalism as a uh, label for a theological movement really came into being was in the 19th century with a guy by the name of J.N. Darby. He was a Plymouth, Plymouth Brethren. Uh, there's a lot of false, utterly false and provably false information out there about him that you, you'll still hear. I did a podcast with Mondo about the, the uh, what was it called, the, uh, the false teaching that won't go away or something like that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so you know, over time that became, you know, especially around the turn of the 20th century with the Bible conference movement and the Bible college movement. That's when schools like Moody and Philadelphia College of the Bible and the Dallas Seminary in the 20s all got started and they started to promote it. But frankly, the, the probably the single greatest influence on the spread of you know traditional dispensational understanding of the church is not Israel and God has a future for national Israel, the single greatest influence on the spread of that was the Schofield Reference Bible. I mean, that was that was it. I mean that that really that and the Niagara Bible conferences and Dallas Seminary, that that's that's what did it. So. So I come from a messianic background, and I guess this is why I'm asking because I've just heard teaching after teaching after teaching from that group that talk about believing in the post-trip that it can't possibly be the pre-trip, and I'm just trying to figure out where yeah, they so, get that from. So post-trip. Again, technically, they, they, they say the rapture will happen after the tribulation. But it's just another way of saying that they believe the second coming and the rapture are the same event, right? So the, the passages they would go to is, that, is they would lump all together all of these passages, like 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, plus you know, Matthew 24, Matthew 25, Revelation 19. And they would say all those are talking about the same event. And uh, so, and then because they don't see any distinction between the church and Israel, they don't they don't take the seventy weeks of Daniel literally, and so that seventieth week of Daniel, which has yet to happen, 
they think it's either symbolic or, you know, the whole book of Revelation is symbolic. So they would, they would interpret the book of Revelation, you know, with the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments as all just different reiterations of the church. So, uh, and the thousand-year millennium, that's where we get the concept of a millennium is from Revelation 20. That also comes, uh, that also refers to the church, they say. So it's called the recapitulation view of Revelation. Every few chapters is just restating the church age. So all those seal judgments, those terrible judgments, that's, that's today. Then the trumpets, that's today. They're overlaid. The, the bowls, that's today. The millennium, that's today. Satan is bound today. That's what they believe. Now, figure that one out. Nonsense. And if they're listening to the news and all the things that are going on, it, it, they buy more into it that that's what's happening and that's why they become. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, they, they, yeah. So, yeah, they're, they, they certainly, you know, a lot of people that we might disagree with theologically, they're believers, they, they value the Bible, they love the Lord, they just have a different hermeneutic, a different way of understanding the Bible that we strongly disagree with. And uh, that's why Paul tells us we should correctly handle the Word of God. It's very important, you know. A bad hermeneutic is really worse than reading the Bible, than not reading the Bible at all, because you can twist it, you know. So, well, thank you guys very much. Uh, it's just been a blessing to get to talk to my folks. And uh, uh, they head back to Houston tomorrow, but I wanted to grab them while they were here. And, um, yeah, let me close us in prayer, and then we'll wrap up for the night. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. I just thank you just for the reminder of your hand of blessing in our lives uh, through the years. Just even long before I was born, just your hand of blessing in my mom's life to bring her to faith through a friend. Uh, in my dad's life, the influence of his godly Christian parents. Uh, even knowing that, uh, you know, my grandfather and, and grandmother on my mom's side that came to faith. And uh, just, just we're just so thankful for uh, the reminder that you are sovereign and that you're always working out your plan. And Lord, we do pray if there's one here uh, watching this or watching the video afterwards uh, that doesn't know you, that through the articulation of the gospel that we've mentioned several times tonight, they would recognize their need for a savior. They would recognize that Jesus died to pay their personal penalty for sin and that they would place their faith in him uh, as the one who rose from the dead and, and can only provide, the only one who can provide eternal life. So Lord, dismiss us now with your watch, care, and blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys.